0: Hello, and welcome back to Ossia, a podcast from One Voice Chorus of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm Corey Davis, the artistic director of One Voice, and today I'm having a conversation with 18-year veteran OVC singer Liz Fitzgerald, along with Jermaine Nakia Lee, one of the founders of Charlotte Black Pride, as well as a playwright, songwriter, and now filmmaker in the Charlotte community. Could you both just take a moment to introduce yourselves?
1: My name is Jermaine Nikki Lee and I'm a dad and I'm an educator and I'm a creative and I'm really about using my art to empower, to enlighten, and to educate.
2: My name is Liz Fitzgerald and I have been with One Voice for 18 years, and I know that because we moved here when my daughter was just 10 months. And so I can um, gauge my time with One Voice um, on how old she is. And so uh, like Jermaine, I'm a parent and have raised my kids in the world of One Voice. And so One Voice has always been part of my passion. I love the opportunity to sing and the creative outlet, the community, um, that I have with members of the chorus and our, com- our shared commitment to social justice. And so um, I've been in a number of different roles. I'm now at the Arts and Science Council. Um, I support grants and services there, but can- throughout all of that, the commitment with One Voice has been part of my heart.
0: Germaine, could you talk a little bit about how you're connected with One Voice and your history with the chorus?
1: When I first came into, I mean, there's, there's a lot of history there with me and One Voice. Uh, we used to have an LGBT community center. It was in Plaza Midwood. And uh, One Voice, if I recall, was one of the tenants. I served on the board there. And I was also, I worked with Dan Hurst, who's recently passed away. He was the executive director and kind of the brainchild behind that project. One Voice was a huge partner of the LGBT Community Center and oftentimes the entertainment for fundraisers and other things that community-based things that we were doing there. So they've just always been, it's gonna sound really corny what I'm about to say, they've always been the voice of the community. I have a long history with One Voice. Obviously I come to most of your shows. My best friend, Kim Randall, who's one of your soloists, um, is somebody who I went to UNCC with and we've been friends for you know you know I can't say the number but we've been friends for a number of years cuz she would kill me if I said the number so you know one voice is you know one of the jewels on the crown of the queen city whenever i've come to a one voice concert i've always thought wouldn't it be cool like if and maybe this happens and i don't know but if like all the like one voice sponsored like some kind of cantata if that's the word, where like all the Charlotte-based choral groups came together. So you got one voice and then you might have like a quartet group and then you got like a gospel group and you might have soloists. But it's like all under the umbrella of like one voice and friends. That's free. You can have that.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, Well, could you just talk a little bit about what you're working on right now?
1: I'm a playwright and I write musicals. I write and compose the music for and choreograph um, all of my musicals, Um, and I've written eight musicals, but I've uh, produced uh, three of the eight. The Arts and Science Council, through the Cultural Visions Grant, um, supported uh, my latest work, A Walk in My Shoes, which is an urban musical that features, like, hip-hop and Spoken word and R and B and a little twinkle of gospel, and it's centered around um, four young adult friends who grew up together, who are just dealing with all the trappings of young adulthood. You know, so identity and relationships and all kind of other isms. You know, so there's some real serious subject matter: sexual assault. Um, uh, addiction, homelessness, religious oppression. Um, and then on the lighter side, it's just about friends, loving life, finding their way and doing it together and finding you know commonality and all of that. We were blessed to get funding and then COVID happened. And then all of the theater venues closed. My team said, well, why don't we like do a film? And I said, oh, that's a great idea. The only thing is I'm not a filmmaker. <laughs> And so uh, they said, well, that's never stopped you before, you know, like not knowing how to do something. So um, I enlisted some help. There happens to be a a Grammy nominated cinematographer and and director in our city named Donald Wilson. I somehow convinced him to help me and co-direct this thing with me. Um, And so it's happening, and then, you know, we went back to Liz and said, hey, I know we said we were going to do a stage musical, uh, but that's not going to happen because I just can't do a stage musical without an audience, you know, you know, is it cool if we do a film, and they were gracious and said yes so we've been doing that, and we've been filming, and we are actually down to the last four scenes. So we recorded a majority of the soundtrack except for two songs, and a majority of the scenes except for four. So we're going to wrap those up this month, and we we are aiming to wrap this month and have it edited, ready for a red carpet premiere, like at a at a theater, um, Pride Weekend, Charlotte Pride oh, wow. Weekend. Wow! Uh, wow! Wh-
0: what what does it call? A walk in my shoes? Is that what it's called?
1: A walk in my shoes. Okay. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a
1: lot. (laughs) It's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's a lot. It's a lot. It's been a pleasure. You know, it's been, it's been such an amazing journey. You know, there's nothing like live theater. I just feel like, you know, uh, performers who engage in live theater can do everything, you know, because with a lot, you know, you understand, like, you don't, you don't get to cut and tape if the musicians miss a lick, a lick. Or if the singers miss a note or a lyric, that's just it. You screwed up and you just got to do better next time. But the, that game is really perfection. And, and those who practice live performance really practice the art of perfection, really, because that's the goal. You don't even think about it that way, but that's really the goal to do it exactly as you did in rehearsal and exactly as you've been directed. It's been amazing for me to learn the production aspect, to learn the cinematic aspect. And now I think I'm going to be writing scripts and screenplays for every single thing. I'm going to do a screenplay version for everything that I write now. And I'm really grateful for, for ASC, you know, for saying yes, because that. Kind of propelled me to challenge my art in a way that I probably would not have because I was very comfortable doing live performance. I was very comfortable doing theater, and um, and I walked into this experience very very uncomfortable. Sometimes I still walk on set very uncomfortable, but I think that's where the genius gets to get ignited. You know, when you're uncomfortable, and I haven't been honestly, I haven't been uncomfortable in my art for a while. Oh. It's been really good.
0: It's so nice to hear about positive artistic endeavors that have come out of the pandemic. Um, I was wondering, can you describe any other obstacles that you faced in transitioning to a film format and how you overcame them?
1: You know, like we're we're filming things on location. You know, like so there's a hospital scene. So I was like, who the hell is going to let us film in their hospital? <laughs> Like, I don't have clout like that, right. you know? And, you know, I've been in this community for a while. And so, you know, I just called up some friends, you know? And, you know, I happen to have a, a, a friend who's a PA who just opened up a, a medical center um, called Amity Medical Group. And we were able to film those scenes in their wonderful facility. There's uh, also a thread of kind of HIV awareness in the piece. And we partnered with Rain Regional AIDS Interfaith Network, because um, there's a scene where, you know, a, a couple of the characters are going to get tested, going to get testing and counseling, and they let us use their facility all free. Wow, that's crazy. It wasn't in the money.
0: <laughs> that's amazing.
1: You know, You know, which is a big deal because that means that one of their staff members has to be there all day long, but we're filming for eight to 10 hours, right? And no complaints, you know, we fed them and make sure they were you know, good and fed <laughs> and happy. Um, But like just the community collaboration that has happened with this film has just been remarkable.
0: That is really wonderful to hear.
2: And I was going to say, Jermaine, that is absolutely a reflection of you. You have spent a long, we won't say the number of years, you, you have invested in those relationships over a lot of time and in the many different capacities, creatively and otherwise that you support the community. So I wonder if you would talk about um, your experience forming Charlotte Black Pride.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. You know, I moved here from South Florida. Um, I was born in the Bahamas and raised in Miami, Florida which is, you know, an, an affluent, LGBTQ-affirming community. Um, and when I came to Charlotte on a scholarship to go to UNCC, I noticed at the time, this was in the 90s, just the what I felt like was the invisibility of Black LGBTQ plus people. I was accustomed to just recognizably seeing LGBTQ people of color in the grocery stores shopping and in the mall and 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 I saw them but like I was used to being able to see those peoples uncloaked and I didn't see that and what that meant to me was there was maybe some lack of community like maybe a form of community but not an institution uh, where the community could kind of, Huddle around like a centralized institution, and um, and I was new here, but I had the audacity to think that uh, you know any that that the community was ready number one, um, and that anybody would care about my vision, and it turns out that people were ready. They were really really ready, and they just needed somebody to kind of light the flame, you know, and then you know it was just on fire. What was our budget? Our budget for a week of events for Charlotte Black Pride was probably $5,000. And we did a lot of events. Wow. But we had so much in-kind giving that we, we didn't need money. We didn't need a lot of money. People gave us space. People provided refreshments. People provided entertainment. And I mean... The LGBT community and the non-LGBTQ community as well, the Black community and the non-people of color community as well. People were ready for it, and we had a record-breaking Pride weekend. Uh, We broke the record for any first Black Pride ever. We had over five thousand people uh, convene in Charlotte for our first Black Pride at the time. Charlotte Pride wasn't having 5,000 guests so you know it's a mega pride now right with hundreds of thousands of guests at the time they were meeting at Marshall Park and maybe 500 people came you know maybe Wow it was just beautiful to see what happens when um, opportunity meets the right moment and it was just combustible and it, it was great
0: thank you. I wanted to take a minute since we have talked a little bit about the ASC. Um, So I was wondering if, Liz, you could just give a little overview of what the ASC is and how it's important to our Charlotte arts community.
2: ASC is the Arts and Science Council for Charlotte-Mecklenburg. And it is really through ASC that our city supports arts, science, history, and culture activities at all different levels. Be that going to the Gantt Museum or the Mint Museum or Levine uptown, or getting to participate in small ensemble theater productions or choral productions, Um, getting to support creative individuals and and, um, makers of all sorts. It's really a heart. To the cultural community here in Charlotte.
0: Okay, thank you. Next question, Jermaine, <laughs> have you ever written choral music, and/or do you want to?
1: Uh, yes. So there actually there there are two choral songs in A Walk in My Shoes. Yeah, uh, and choral from uh, with a gospel slant. But yeah, and I love choral music. You're familiar with the, like, the Tuskegee singers back in the uh, 50s and 60s, African-American. It was kind of like a little renaissance going on in the 20s and 30s, but there was also one chorally and and gospel in the 50s and 60s where um, gospel musicians and composers who wanted to bring more exposure and maybe legitimize gospel music or make it more mainstream, So they kind of combine, put choral arrangements on African-American call and response songs and hymns and things of that nature. I think what's also interesting is like, where, you know, like every people, there's a consciousness that we all have. And then there's like a collective consciousness that we have. So like in the fifties and sixties, you know, during the civil rights movement, I think there was a sect of the black community, a large sect that just wanted to fit in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and,
1: and so that, and so the music didn't need to be legitimized. Yes. It was beautiful just as it was, right? Yes. But that's where they were. Now, you know, I, I sit in a place of privilege where I can look back at that and go, "Well, why did you all do that? Why did you all hate <laughs> our music?" And, right. You know, uh, but but I, you know. I, have, I didn't have the lived experience that they had, you know? Um, and so it's interesting now that the black choral movement is not in that place at all. The no. black choral movement is like, no, we want to sing the spirituals just the way our enslaved ancestors would have sung them as they were singing, picking cotton or working right. around their uh, captor's home. You know what I'm saying? We want to sing it that way. we want to learn it that way. Um, and I have a long history as a, a teaching artist and a, and a cultural educator as well. And that's one of the things one of the areas in which I taught was um, black vernacular dance and black vernacular song.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: um, mm. And songs that had coding in it, you know, uh, my slave ancestors would be singing but also communicating to each other how they were going to escape or what the rendezvous point was for the escape or what time they were going to meet up and they would be doing all of that in song and also just the value and you're seeing it in, in, in African-American worship experiences now where, you know, there's a lot of merger of music. So um, there's like hip hop gospel and and gospel with a little R&B twang to it, um, but people are going back to like the old hymns Mm. and the Mm -hmm. old call and response songs, especially now that we're kind of dealing with this viral epidemic, but also this this reckoning on race as well in our country, right? And so Black people are in a place where we're, we're hearkening back to what our ancestors did. How did they get by? How did they get by, get through a lynching? Or how did a man get through the rape of his daughter or his wife. You know, song worship was a big part of that. And hearkening back to those songs for strength, for guidance, for endurance, um, that trend is happening now and it's really exciting.
0: When I first came to One Voice and tried to teach them a song without music, uh, (laughs) it was like a rebellion, like, what? We can't learn this from by ear, you know, we have to look at something, stare at it so hard that we burn holes in the piece of paper, (laughs) which admittedly, like prior to some of my training, I would have felt the same way.
1: Yeah. And I like a combination of both, you know, like I love someone who, who understands the power of like the oral tradition, but can also sight read you know what I mean? Like, to yeah, me, that's why the, not both? Exactly. That's the badass singer right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like that's the, that's what happens when we decide to put, there's a right and wrong way about approaching creativity, right? And when you decide to put these rules on it, you lose the opportunity for that full breadth of both the opportunity to sight read and perfect something as well as the opportunity to improv something and find what moves in the spirit of a group of people joined together in song.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess it becomes more exclusive too because it only creates a space for a certain you know skill set that not everyone has access to.
1: Yeah but it's good it's good and I'm sure you I'm sure you impart this to your members like all of it has value. Like there, there are some people who haven't been classically trained and they just had to develop their ear. Absolutely. And and they have perfect pitch. Yes. And you can sing and they can harmonize to anything. You don't have to play their note. You don't have to play their melody. They, they hear it. They just hear it. And there's, there's value to that. So there's value in you being able to sight read and know your vocal melody from from what you're reading and there's value in you training this ear Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right training that ear to be able to hear uh to hear your note without someone even giving it to you
0: i think like my philosophy has become and maybe you feel similarly but like my feeling now is gather everyone together, <laughs> take all of the valuable contributions and make that into something and don't say, well, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. But of course, that also depends on me. Like I, I have certain biases and things that I need to figure out <laughs> too. So, so, you know, it's ongoing work of of trying to gather everybody together and smush them into something cool.
1: So so what is your vision, Corey, like for the next five years for One Voice?
0: Um, well, I recently told someone just more and bigger, <laughs> uh, which, and to me, that means like connecting with the rest of the community that has basically, from my perspective, been excluded because it's very white group um there is a lot of diversity in other ways like age and you know gender expression and skill level but just very white and and obviously i'm also white so i don't know how much i can possibly do to do that but i think it starts with connecting to you know the parts of the community and people like yourself who do provide such valuable contributions and and create like like a big umbrella um with the like what you said like bringing all the groups together and 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 truly making one voice out of many personally for me i really like and want to do more like choral orchestral works like just all the instruments all the singers <laughs> and everything and i also have a special affinity for like more, more recently composed work, so not necessarily Vivaldi's Gloria, but maybe something like The Unarmed Child. It speaks specifically about gun violence toward children and sort of like working through all of the complicated emotions that come with that really heavy topic. So that's just one example of like the types of things that I tend to gravitate toward. Um, of course, I do think... You know, Mozart Requiem is a wonderful piece, and I would love to conduct that someday. Um, <laughs> but maybe we can do the Requiem next to something like that and and create an even richer experience um, in the in the juxtaposition. I guess my final question that I always like to ask is, if the podcast somehow goes viral, is there anything that you would want the listeners to know?
1: Well, I I want people to know that this sounds really corny. I want them to know that everything they need is like right here. You can't see me, but like there's a cloud of abundance that follows us everywhere we go. Right. And so everything you need, all your emotional needs, your mental needs, your physical needs, all your provisions are like right there. And access to those things are just about alignment, like aligning yourself, being physically where you're supposed to be and being spiritually where you're supposed to be so that all of that can start raining down on you. You know, because I know people are really suffering. I do a lot of charitable work. And the thing that I get from the people we serve is just how much despair they're living in. Right. They're living in a lot of despair. And I want people to know that there is a cloud of goodness that's like right there, but like everything, like the, the, you gotta, you gotta, you know, like if you wanna walk in the door, you gotta know where the door is and you gotta know that you gotta turn the knob in order to open the door. So everything is about like finding out where the access is. And so when you align yourself with the access, then it's all good. And then selfishly, I want people to come to my movie premiere. And I want them to follow, I want them to follow A Walk In My Shoes on IG and on Facebook. And I want them to keep up with what we're doing. So we haven't set the movie premiere yet, but you can go on there and there's a lot of amazing content, behind the scenes content, interviews with myself and with the amazing cast of singer-actors. Um, and a couple of sneak peeks. There's a wonderful trailer there as well. And um, I would encourage people to follow it and to come check us out at the premiere.
2: I want people to know that wherever they are listening from, there are amazing creative people and opportunities right outside their door. And they need to connect with those folks that are right there in their neighborhood, in their communities. I think when you do that, that that cloud of opportunity that Jermaine talked about, it's right there. Um, there is so much um, talent and gift of hope and assurance that comes from our creative community. And um, my wish for everybody is that they tap into that.
0: ASEA is a podcast from One Voice Chorus, the LGBTQIA and Allies Chorus of Charlotte, North Carolina. View our performances on YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching One Voice Chorus Charlotte. Please subscribe and rate ASEA. You can also support our chorus by making a donation at www.onevoicechorus.com.